You're listening to audio from Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. If you'd like to check out more resources or learn more about Citizens, please visit citizensbhm.com. If you watch the news, they are kind of talking about the end of the world all the time. It's a reason that some stories grab our attention and others don't seem to matter all that much. Uh, Every time we talk about climate change, every time we talk about war, especially nuclear war, every time we talk about the lack of resources in the future, every time we talk about disease, even pandemic level diseases, as we talk about the emergence of AI and what it will mean for the future, all of these stories, their end conclusion is what does it mean for humanity in the future. And our TV and movies speak to the same reality. Even though they might not explicitly be saying we're talking about the end of the world, they're still talking about the end of the world. And there's a couple different genres. There's uh, one of my favorite, the zombie movies. This is I Am Legend for y'all that are a little too young. That's Will Smith's greatest movie, hot take. But man, I watched it the other day, it's so good. Second, second genre is all the alien movies. There's another good one, Arrival. What do we do if the unexpected comes? What do we do? What will it mean for us? And then there's this whole genre that has a zillion uh, different ways, the Alone series. All survival shows are basically boiling down. If the end comes, will you make it? That is what they're all doing. They're all speaking to this deeper premise. Can I survive? What should I do if it all comes? And then some of them are explicitly about the end of the world. Book of Eli, Denzel Washington. Can we survive the apocalypse? What will it take? Will God bring us home? Or to step back into the 2000s, the classic. If an asteroid is coming, what will humanity do? And they're all speaking in various ways about something we know is coming instinctively. Everyone deep down already has this concept that this world isn't just gonna keep going forever. That something will change, something will end. We're wired because God made the world and God made us to instinctively know, even if we don't believe in God, that something's going to give eventually. And what's missing in all these movies and all the news and most of our thoughts and fears about the end of the world, what's missing is Christ. That for the Christian, the end is not tied primarily to catastrophe, but the end is primarily tied to the return of Christ. That there is a wholly different primary focus to the end, and we should work and consider the many problems of this world. We should seek human flourishing. I'm not saying I'm not a Christian. It's like, oh, who cares about the world? No, Jesus cares about the world. He dies to save it. We should care about these things, but we must, as Christians, put Christ at the very center because he's telling us, don't worry about your life. That's the passage right before this. Instead, be ready for the return of Christ. That's why these passages are linked right back to back. And starting in verse 35, Jesus tells us three quick stories, but they only have one point. When Jesus tells a story, it usually only has one point. Picking apart every detail, not that helpful when Jesus tells you parables. Usually there's one blunt 
point that maybe subverts your expectations or tells you right out, but it's supposed to make an impression on you. The story has one push and the push is the same in all three of these stories. And they're all similar, that Jesus will return. That's the point. In a world where it feels like maybe he doesn't, maybe, maybe he's taking a long time, in a world where you can focus on a zillion things, he's saying, I will return. I will return. A third time for those in the back, I will return. Jesus will return. Look at verse 35. Look what it says. It says, stay dressed for action. Love that. And keep the lamps burning. That's a part that needs a little explanation. So they wore big old tunics like a big dress, like a super long, tall tee, something going on here. They got a little pants, it's kind of a robe. And to be dressed for action means that you swoop these pieces up and tie them around your waist because it's time to get to work. For us, it'd be like, keep your Nikes on. We got business to do. You might need to fight, you might need to work, but you should stay dressed for action. The Old Testament says, gird up your loins. That's kind of the reference they're saying that you are to stay ready and not rest or be sleeping on this. Second thing is keep your lamps burning, which I don't know about you, I don't have any lamps in my house. Do you? You got oil? Yes. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We got, it ain't them ha- Man, wives, they're, man, they're so good. They help, you know, they're, they're just so helpful. Here's the deal. I got, I have at least one lamp in my house and none that burn on oil, all right? And these lamps, they're like little metal lamps and they must be filled with oil, but they don't have an endless amount of oil. That'd be very dangerous if it were to knock over and burn your whole house down. So they're small personal lamps that you must keep refilling. They only burn for a few hours without refilling. So when Jesus says, stay ready for action, keep your lamp burning, he means, hey, you need to stay awake that the Lord is coming. You must pay attention. You must refill the lamp and not let it go out at night. It's not like the Motel 8. He's not just saying, keep a light on for me. You don't have to do anything for that. He's saying, you got to keep refilling this lamp. This is something you must pay attention to. The story continues. Be like men who are waiting for their master to come home from a wedding feast so that they may open the door to him once he comes and knocks. Be ready for service. Continue in watching over the household for Master Jesus. 37, blessed are the servants whom the master finds awake when he comes. Truly, I say to you, he will dress himself for service. This is Jesus talking. Jesus will dress himself for service and have them, the servants, recline at the table, and Jesus will come and serve them. And if he comes in the second or third watch and finds them awake, that's late into the night and the early morning, blessed are those servants. Jesus will return, so stay ready. Jesus will return, so stay ready. The return will be sudden, it will be glorious, but there will be no time to prepare. It will come all at once. And ready, look at the twist. If we stay ready and focus on the return of Jesus in the future, it says we will be blessed. Now we use the word blessing all the time. We like, bless your heart, bless the turkey, bless this, bless that. But biblically blessing here is makurios, which means the deep happiness that only God can give you. The thing you've longed for all of your life, that's what blessedness is with God. And he says, those who are ready, I'm gonna fill 
that deep hole in your heart and your life and give you an abundant joy. You will be blessed in this future. Your focus on the future will lead to deep happiness, a happiness that's so great that it motivates present faithfulness. To focus on this future where there's such a great, it's like winning, winning the lotto a thousand times over and more, motivates a current faithfulness in your life. And how do we know joy awaits us? How do we know even what that, what's that even mean, Justin? You're saying the, the whole of me is gonna be completely filled. Well, it's easy to miss, but verse 37 actually told us what the joy will be. Look here once again. Blessed, deeply happy, satisfied in an eternal way are the servants whom the master Jesus finds awake when Jesus comes. Truly, I say to you, Jesus will dress himself for service and have them recline at the table and Jesus will come and serve them. Whoever heard of a king that's going to dress up as a servant and tell us to sit down? Think about this. Jesus is promising, I'm going to set a table for you. I'm going to be the one who serves. We're actually going to replay the Last Supper together. I'm going to call you friends. I'm going to call you family. The place you've always wished you belonged and never felt like you fit in in life, there's actually a chair waiting for you at my return. And Jesus, it seems, is going to probably get on his knees and wash our feet like the Last Supper. That in his return, you might actually be hearing the thing we all are waiting for. If you're a believer, well done, my good and faithful servant. He might be saying that at this dinner, holding your feet, looking you eye to eye, and suddenly your whole life will make sense in the eyes of a Christ who served you in his life and serves you always. What a twist. He says, stay ready in serving me. And in the end, you'll realize it was always me serving you. Christ is never asking for something in your life that he isn't already doing for you. Truly, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. It models how we live our life. But it is what Jesus is doing even right now. Jesus tells another story, but with the same main point. Verse 39, but know this, if the master of the house had known what hour the thief was coming, he would not have left the house to be broken into. You also must be ready for the son of man, that's a title of Jesus, is coming in an hour you just don't expect. Jesus will return, so pay attention. Pay attention to your life. The return is certain, but the timing is unexpected. And like a thief, Jesus will come back one day at such a time, at such a day and such a time that no one can expect. And it's not to scare us, it's not to hurt us, but because Jesus is the wild God of the Bible, no one is his master. No one can know the day except the Father himself. Why? Because no one's in charge of Jesus except the Father. No one can lay a hand and say, he, this is what he's gonna do and this is this, this. No, we don't determine that. Only the Father knows that. And anyone who predicts the end of the world, they're already wrong. To predict the end of the world at all, you're already wrong. And furthermore, you're denying the explicit teaching of Jesus in Matthew 24. Look what it says in Matthew 24. It says, but about the day or hour, no one knows. 
not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Jesus is clear. No one will know when he is coming. So whether it's a crazy guy on a billboard or a smooth talker on TikTok or YouTube, they're wrong. And to be honest, to willfully deny Jesus but speak in his name, they are probably demonic. That would be sign number one, you have a false prophet and maybe someone demon-driven to explicitly deny Jesus' teaching, but yet teach with certainty in his name, willfully, means you are against all things in God. Anyone predicting the end of the world is against God himself. With our hope set on Christ, we don't try to predict the end, but rather we pay attention to our life. The focus doesn't become on crystal balling things, but instead saying, Lord, I want to live faithfully, knowing with certainty that you are coming. And Peter asks a clarifying question. Love of Peter. Another love of Peter moment. He goes, uh, hey, Jesus, uh, is this for like all of them? Or is this like for us? Is this for the inner circle? Classic. And Jesus responds just by telling another story, but this time about a manager. That Jesus will return, so don't lose heart, even if a long time has passed. In the first story, the ready, wise, faithful person, he's rewarded. He gets particularly blessed with what God brings. But in this story, it expounds upon that. The faithful person is blessed, but now it describes the unfaithful person will be judged by a measure appropriate. God agrees with what we all observe about life. There are people who are more gifted than others. There are people who have different gifts from one another. There are people who've had varied opportunities and opportunities denied. There are people who have certain privileges that just have been bestowed upon them and some who have not had the same opportunities and privileges. And God is saying he will take all that into account as he judges our faithfulness to him. The justice we all long for, someone to accurately see our life, to accurately see the world, God is saying he will absolutely see it perfectly. He will see every inch of what is fair and needs to be judged. And Jesus' return will bring both reward for faithfulness and judgment for unfaithfulness or unbelief. And he will judge perfectly. The great Spider-Man line indeed is from Jesus. Too much is given, much is expected. As they say in the movies, with great power comes great responsibility. Jesus is saying, I actually do see it all. I see every injustice. I see what everyone has and has been given. I see every opportunity. And he will be the one in the end who judges what was faithful, not faithful. And so in some ways, that's a great assurance. In some ways, it should make us evaluate. And Peter asks if the story was for the disciples or all people, and the answer is uh, from Jesus, yes. The first story is for all people, including the disciples. And the second story is more directed at the disciples because it speaks to leadership. It says the leader must give food or service or do their duties at the proper time. For Peter, it's a clear allusion to him being a pastor one day to feed God's people his word. It's a foreshadowing of this moment in John 21 where G Peter's on the beach and he sinned and he's reconciled to Jesus. And then Jesus tells him, yay, feed my lambs, feed my lambs, feed my lambs. But it speaks broader than just the disciples again. 
The manager, that analogy works for everyone because everyone's a leader of someone. Whether you know you're very important or you don't think of yourself as very important, I guarantee someone looks up to you or someone is in your responsibility officially or someone's in your care. None of us are exempt from this. In fact, what's teaching us here is to treat those in your care as people to be cared for. Everyone's called to it. Some of us have many in our care. Some of us have few. It doesn't matter. Jesus is caring about your care. That whether you have one person or a thousand people to care for, to think about it and think about how to love them well matters. And love often looks like just doing the right thing at the right time in the right way. And that takes wisdom. But think about the manager was just supposed to feed the household, run the household. Jesus isn't asking us to be Superman or Superwoman or even Spider-Man. I wish I was Spider-Man. That's a big longing. It will go unfulfilled. And it's interesting in every story, it's this future oriented focus on Jesus that actually produces faithfulness today. It's only when the manager loses sight of the master's return, does he start to get greedy. He overeats the food instead of feeding the servants. He gets drunk instead of leading the team. It says he even beats and abuses the servants instead of caring for the master's household, including everyone who works there. And the point becomes clear that when we lose our vision of Jesus, our eyes just drift to ourselves and eventually our, our behavior becomes selfish. That's how we're made. That because of sin and our brokenness, we just lose sight of the things that are important. And when we start focusing ourselves, we can't help but start making selfish decisions. We are not a people who's gonna look inside and save ourselves. We are explicitly a religion. In the Bible, it says we must look externally to God to be saved and to live a good life, that we need more than looking at ourselves. And the Carl family values, we have them on the wall in my office. And under one of the values is eternity. We put it this way. Investment in heaven lives in the present. Investment in heaven lives in the present. If you're thinking, well, what shall I do? If all of what I do matters, what shall I do? Stay present to the moment. It's this day-by-day faithfulness. You can't be faithful on any other day but today. But Jesus is saying it will impact heaven. Your words, your work, your dollars, your time can impact eternity. But you will lose heart if you lose sight of Jesus' return. You will just eventually drift your sight down to yourself. And Jesus pivots here in a way that feels like, is this in the same passage? What's going on? He makes his pivot. And some have called this part of the hard sayings of Jesus. But I like to think of it as more of one of the precious, precious moments in the gospels where Jesus actually talks about his heart, his wishes, his desires, his feelings. He talks about his own interior life. You don't get a ton of these glimpses but Jesus reveals what he's thinking and feeling. Verse 49, I came to cast fire on the earth. Would that it was already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with. 
and how great is my distress until it's accomplished. Jesus is distressed. Think about that. You can be an absolutely morally perfect person and still feel deep emotional pain. That's what distress means. He's distressed. He feels an emotional ache in his bones about this upcoming thing. And what is it? Well, he tells us, he says it's a baptism coming, but it's not a water baptism like Luke 3. It's a baptism of blood and fire. He's speaking about his own cross. He's marching to Jerusalem. He's distressed knowing he will be covered in his own blood, that he will eventually die. He knows this will be the most horrific experience any human can have, to have the fire of God's judgment for our sins, not his, laid upon him on that wooden cross. He can feel the baptism of this pain coming. He knows it will be so painful, but he also knows this baptism, this cross will start a fire. It will be a kindling moment on earth that the earth has been going one way for a long time. But at this moment, the light will come into the darkness truly, but it will come through the pain and excruciating pain of God. And he will rise again and this fire will start to burn and will have grave consequences for all things. And he says, I wish to cast the fire already. And what he's speaking of is, well, the fire will start at the cross and resurrection of Jesus. This, well, we'll get to a dividing among people, but there's also a day, one day, when Jesus will cast down the fire. Then Jesus' return, he will bring fire as both a symbol and a reality of God's final judgment. And you should ask yourself, well, why does Jesus wish that to happen? He's saying, I wish that it already happened. I wish that that process had already begun. And I think our thinking is poisoned by the movies earlier and our culture earlier. We think of the end as something awful to survive, but Jesus is reframing it for us to think about the end of the world with his return at the center. To think about the end of the world. Yes, there is a fire judgment to come, but to think about that end with Jesus at the center. And this is what it means. At Jesus', at Jesus final justice comes and all injustice of all time will be overturned and all wrongs will begin to be righted. That's good news. That's good news if you've been on the wrong side of things. At Jesus' return, all suffering of God's people comes to an immediate end. Whew. Think about everyone in a hospital bed. Everyone feeling paralyzed by emotional pain and wounds in their life. Every terrible story of your life, every future terrible story, all starts to be healed in a moment that the suffering comes to an end because the king's in the house. At Jesus' return, the kingdom of blessedness comes in full and all the longings of your heart are fulfilled. At Jesus' return, the world ends in a fire that does consume all sin. It consumes all evil. It consumes all brokenness. But just like a forest fire, it begins this process of rebirth, that redemption and restoration and renewal happens, that the heavens and the earth will burn, but only to begin again. How all this works metaphysically, who knows? The same as how God made all things exist, but it will be awesome. 
It will be a thing unlike any other thing. It will affect everything. And just like the prophet Isaiah says from ashes, he'll make beauty, but this beauty will be eternal, not temporal. And it will go on and on and on. And the fire of Jesus, you're like, why fire? Why are we using, like, what, what, what's this? this is so scary. But think about fire, how it purifies a metal. It gets so hot and it burns away all the dirt, all the debris, all the impurities, all the temporary things get burned away. And we have precious metals like silver and gold. Church, you are the silver and gold. You are the treasure of God. He's going to have everything that's good, beautiful, and true will survive this fire and be renewed and reborn even greater. This is why we'll be resurrected, not to just to be spirits in heaven, but in our own bodies. How that works, I don't know. But because Jesus got up from the dead, I believe it. That's a future to look forward to. It's okay to long for your future with Jesus. It actually makes you ready today. Longing for heaven, longing to be with Jesus, longing to be, have him hold your feet, longing for him to look you eye to eye is a good thing that Jesus is saying, I am coming, hold on, don't give up, stay at work, be ready, be watchful. Even if you think I'm delayed, I'm not. In light of Jesus' cross and soon return, he then turns and gives three corrections. They're corrections for us. They're corrections for probably his mostly Jewish crowd. They're corrections for all. And the first correction is understand division will come. Remember in the Jewish life and system, family was kind of above just about everything other than God. And so the idea that God would come and he would actually divide families on the basis of belief in Jesus, that would be a soul-shaking thing. What do you mean? My family's going to hate each other because some believe and some don't? And Jesus is warning them, yeah. To believe in a man who claims to be God has big consequences for your life. Some might not believe he's God. Some might not accept that you believe he's God. Some might not accept now that your life is changing. That division is to be expected as you follow Jesus. I know it's confusing. You're like, man, he's the Prince of Peace. He gives him a peace that surpasses all understanding. Yes, yes. But many of you have lost family members, friends, people despise you on the basis of Jesus's name, not because you're not a good enough Christian. They just reject it. And that's a painful thing. And Jesus is warning them on this side of heaven, division will come because of me. I am an important but divisive thing. And I want to encourage you, if you feel this division heavy, maybe you've lost family, maybe you've lost friends, maybe at work you're left out on the basis of how you follow Jesus or that you love Jesus, they think you're weird. I want to encourage you with my favorite pastor. He said this, they who dive in the sea of affliction bring up rare pearls. Jesus will waste none of your suffering. If you feel opposition and suffering, that is an invitation from God to turn to him and say, I'm sharing in your suffering, Christ, strengthen me. I'm experiencing what you experience because I follow you. Not because I'm a jerk. I've met Christian jerks. I'm like, ah, eh, that's kind of, you're just a jerk. That's why your people don't like you. You know, like, I've, I've had people like, I'm just suffering from the cross. I'm like, well, you're a jerk. But this is talking about when people despise you, look down, think you're weak, whatever, because of Jesus, hate your convictions. 
Jesus doesn't pretend it's not painful, but he does promise to be with us and to expect it until he returns. The second thing is Jesus corrects us to further understand the opportunity. He gives this example of people loving to know the weather and nothing has changed. I know you are like me and love looking at a weather app to be prepared, think about what you're gonna wear, talk about if it's too hot, too cold, if it's gonna rain, not gonna rain, and just endlessly think about weather. I think it is something built into every human being. And Jesus says, you're so good at it. You know the wind, you know the light, you know all this stuff, but you're missing me. The crowds are growing, the followers are not for Jesus. The crowds are in the thousands. His followers, after the cross, it's gonna be like 100. He's saying, you can read this world pretty good. You know what it means to live in Israel off the Mediterranean, but you don't see that the thing you've been waiting for your entire life, the Messiah, you don't see me. And to put it into this basement of citizens, now is the time of opportunity. That's what he's telling them. You have a ripe opportunity. Now is the time to believe. Don't delay. This is the time that the Messiah is clear. It wasn't so clear thousands of years ago. There are prophecies, there's things. It was hope in God and God's gonna do something. He's gonna bring a savior. But Jesus, we have his words. We have his writing. We have the the New Testament. We have 2000 years of church history, seeing God do things all over the globe. Now is the time of our witness and opportunity to tell everyone about Christ. And that feels so intimidating. I know you're like, what am I going to say in the lunchroom? Have you heard of Christ? (laughs) That could be an approach. But (laughs) I have seen enormous fruit if you will invest in people, particularly people who are hurting. Not to prey on them, but just to love them. Talk to the popular kids at work. Talk to the unpopular kids at work. Talk to the people in tears, talk to the people rejoicing. And what to talk to them about is invite them into your life. Tell them your story. Jesus hopefully is at the center of that story if you're a Christian. Tell them about how you came a believer. Tell them about the difference it made in your life and care about their life. Ask them a zillion questions. You can just Google online, 100 good questions. Bang, put them in your pocket. You can go from not that social to a social butterfly. All right, review them in the bathroom before you have lunch break and see what happens. As you invite people into your life, you get a long witness to them that's very hard for them to deny. As you consistently live for Christ, it goes, man, they're different. And in a way that I don't have to understand, I just have to admit they're different. What they do with that, that's up to them. But you can share the gospel with people, particularly by sharing your life with them and being clear about what's made the difference in your life, the gospel. I want you to hear 2 Peter 3. I love this passage because it ties the mission of God and the return of Christ closer than any passage in the Bible. And it blows my mind every time. Listen to what it says. But by the same word, the word of God, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire. Whew, a lot. Being kept till the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Okay. But don't overlook this one fact. You read line one and you go, whoa, okay. We're on, we're on the roller coaster. And he says, don't overlook this. Beloved, that's his word for the church, you. That with the Lord, one day is a thousand years and a thousand years a day. Whew, God's outside of time. We made up time. God's outside of it. 
The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise to return, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing any should perish, but all should turn, should, should reach repentance. The delay we think we're experiencing is because God is patient and wants to save you and everyone you know. Some people are like, why isn't the Lord come back? Why isn't the Lord come back? Because the mission's not over. He wants to save everyone. And he wants to use you. You specifically. He's not slow. He's not not paying attention. He's not asleep. He's patiently looking on this world saying, I'm going to begin it again. I'm going to give justice to all people. I'm going to do this thing. But right now I'm waiting for the work of Christ to finish through the church that everyone could know and believe. He's patient. He's not asleep. But the day of the Lord, that's the coming of Christ, will come like a thief. There it is again. Remember, Peter heard these words live in Luke. Then the heavens will pass away with a roar. No one's going to miss the return of Christ. The heavens are going to burn away. The heavenly bodies will be burned up. The stars will roll back and dissolve. The earth and its works that are done will be exposed. There will be a judgment that nothing will escape. I remember so vividly, I was in West China in the middle of nowhere. It was so hot. There was so much sweating going on. So many stomach problems. It had been a couple weeks. And I was on a university campus that was double the size of the University of Alabama. China builds massive university campuses. And sadly, through other missionaries and our own polling data, that less than one out of 200 students believed in Christ. So imagine 60,000 plus people, and your likelihood of bumping into a Christian is almost zero for the whole summer, even if you talk to a person, several people a day. And I was sitting with one student that I was doing the trip with, and he was just so down. He saw other people build friendships, get to share about Christ, get to invest in these different students who are often eager to practice English and get to know uh, Americans and then get to love and share our lives. And he had not made a friend. And he was probably three, four weeks in and just was discouraged. He was hot. He was sick. He just wanted to give up. So we went on a walk together and we sat down under a tree and we're overlooking endless soccer fields where hundreds of Chinese students are playing soccer, laughing, having fun. And we read this passage together. And as we read this passage together, it was amazing to see the spirit of God move in his heart to look me in the face. And he's like, so until the skies roar back, Every single person on the soccer field has an opportunity to believe in Christ. I said, yeah. And I watched this young man get up and say, let's go tell everyone then. And as he started to go and start to be motivated by God's return and this clear opportunity, he was just on fire. He made friend after friend after friend, telling them about Jesus, sharing his life with them for the rest of summer. And I want to encourage you with that. Maybe you feel like a big failure with sharing your faith. Like that feels like a faraway dream that's never going to happen. I'm going to say, even if you went all the way to say China, spent thousands of dollars and were sweating and sick and ready to give up and want to fly home, maybe that's how you feel. 
But would you let the word of God be your guide today? To say, until the skies roar back, God has something for us to do, and God is doing something that he wants to use you. It doesn't matter if you succeed or not. That's not all in your hands. Me and Elena threw a a, a party for her soccer team. They had practice was canceled. I invited everyone over to our house. Eloise is so excited. If you know my daughter, loves a party. She's eight. Guess how many people came and, and heard the good news of Christ through our friendship? Zero. Not one person came to our party. And it was fine. We laughed about it. It was great. It's okay to strike out. You don't have to have the most charming personality. You don't have to have it all together. You can just love someone and you will see the fruit come over time. And Jesus makes a final correction. He says, understand the urgency, verse 57. And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? As you go with your accuser before the magistrate, that's like the judge, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge. And the judge hands you over to the officer and the officer puts you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you've paid the very last penny. And there's an urgency because Jesus is returning and with it, the judgment to settle with God. It's just a clear teaching that just like there's courts and they find the truth and they apply the law, so will the judgment. There will be a court, they will find the truth, they will apply the law, and it will not go well unless you have trusted in Christ to settle. We can face God as forgiven, as part of God's family, where our works will still be judged and rewarded, but we're forgiven. We'll be with God and there will be a judgment that evaluates things, but it won't be a heaven-hell thing. It will be as a member of the family, here's how you stewarded your life. Or we can face God unforgiven, where our works will be judged, but we will ultimately be found guilty as being apart from God, not turning to him and be sentenced to eternal damnation. When Jesus returns, it will be too late to settle with God. That is the overarching move of this passage. Why be ready? Because the end is too late. It is too sudden and unpredictable. The key is to settle with God by faith in Christ now. And I urge you, whether you don't believe or do believe, to put all your hope and faith in Christ. All of it. Don't hope in anything else. Nothing else will stand the judgment. But that if you trust Christ, you are safe and found and belong with God. There will be a judgment, but it will be on the merits of our life to be rewarded. When you have a really big event in the future, what do you do? I know what I do. I put it on the calendar, (laughs) right? You got a big event? Hopefully I put it on the calendar. If I don't, Elena got my back, right, babe? If you have a really big event, you put it on the calendar and you start the countdown. Birthdays, maybe a special vacation, an anniversary. Please remember it, bros. Graduation. 
especially if it's your wedding, you even have like a little meter or an app that's like counting you down, counting you down, counting you down. The birth of a child, tough to predict the day, but there's even a countdown. I'm this many weeks and this many days out until it comes to right about the day. You are counting it down and your hope kind of grows in your anticipation with day after day after day after day. But here's where it gets really hard and why hoping in Christ is hard and easy to lose focus. Because the most important things in life, the things we actually probably hope for most are pretty uncertain. If you're struggling with infertility, there's no date on how that story ends. If you're hoping and desire to be married, there's no certainty on how that will play out. If you're struggling with a chronic, severe, serious, long-term illness, it is cloudy, 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 and there are no dates on how that will play out, good or bad. And that's why it's easy to lose hope and focus on dateless things like the return of Christ. Because we've learned for too long in a broken world that if things don't have a specific certain date, they might not work out. Even when we have a specific date, sometimes they don't work out. But we've learned if there's no date on the calendar, it's tough to have a hope in it. But here's the truth. Jesus is different. He's more than hope, he's a certainty. Even if the date is unknowable and it will be unexpected for all people, our hope in Jesus is certain that while it can't be calendar, Jesus is asking us to trust him and count down. That every day you live, you live one day closer to his return. Good day, worst day, you're one day closer, Christian. Best day, awful day, you're one day closer, Christian. You're one day closer to justice for all. When you see infuriating things on the news, you're one day closer to a judgment and justice that will be perfect. You're one day closer to a love that will outlast any marriage. You're one day closer to reuniting with your lost ones in Christ. You're one day closer to a joy that's greater than any child can bring. You're one day closer to a healing that will outstrip any medicine you could take. The Christian has started the countdown and the countdown starts to build the hope as they let it burn through their veins to know that every day I live, regardless of how things turn out in this life, I'm one day closer to the one who can actually heal my soul. I'm one day closer to meeting my God face to face. You can have strength for all of your uncertain hopes, knowing that Christ's return is marching towards you. Let the return of Christ fill you with real hope. Let the countdown begin. As the end of the world tempts you to fear, remember Jesus' return means we will feast with the King. 